This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandi Stark, and on today's episode, we have author Carrie O'Neill, who is going to tell us a little bit about his paranormal pet experience, and then we're going to talk about his books, which include uh, werewolves and other supernatural creatures, and we'll get started with that right after these messages. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. When we put him on the Dynavite, he took right to it. All of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Something that he actually likes to eat. You need to put him on Dynavite. Dynavite for life. If you love your dog, you don't just want him healthy, you want him to be happy. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. Let me go ahead and introduce our guest, uh, Mr. Kerry O'Neill. We actually met at a uh, convention in Tampa called Spooky Empire. Kerry, was it your first time being a speaker there? No, that was the second time. I was oh. actually filled in for somebody last year in Orlando who couldn't show up, and she called me out blue, and I said, absolutely, I'll, sh- I'll be there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. It was my first year, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I uh, wasn't sure about a bigger convention, but Spooky just had a great feel about it, and uh, hopefully we'll both be asked back next year. <laughs> We're going to uh, keep our A lot of fun people there. They really are. It's a lot of fun. It really was. So, let's see. Your bio says that you are from uh, Illinois, yeah. so you're from the, the Midwest like most folks Well, do. Northern Illinois, let's say. <laughs> okay, so you're getting used to this wonderfully warm weather. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've been here since 2004, and then you started right. writing some short stories, and then started publishing collections of short stories called What If, an anthology of 13 short stories, and then you say that each story concept originates from the basic question in the title, but then the similarity ends, entering into a realm of ghosts, the paranormal, inspirational, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and the unexplained. So you'll be a perfect guest for us today on Paranormal Pets, but okay. uh, this will work well. But I know that when we met at Spooky Empire, we were doing panels on the paranormal, mm-hmm. and after uh, you came up and you were telling me your own paranormal pet story. So let's start off with that. What is your paranormal pet encounter? Well, I've always loved dogs. I, I like cats. I'm just an animal lover. And um, I like all pets. I did have a dog, a beagle named Cheddar. Cheddar Lombardi, actually. I'm a Packer fan. So his name was Cheddar Lombardi. And okay. uh, eight and a half years old. And last March, I had to have him put down. He had uh, thyroid cancer around his throat. So I had to put him down, and uh, of course we did a little bucket list before he died, which was really a lot of fun. And uh, and after my, me and my wife got divorced about two years ago, she let me when he got sick. She let me have our cat Callie, 
And Callie and him have always been close ever since she was a kid when Linda brought her home as a rescue cat. And uh, after Cheddar died and I had him cremated, I had uh, several urns, I had two different urns, and I have one in one of those little urns you can put a little thing around your neck with some of his ashes in them. And, uh, you know, for a couple weeks after that, Allie, Callie and I were both pretty depressed. She'd be, I still got his kennel up now. She'll lay mm-hmm. in it at night. But those first two weeks, she'd lay in there and she'd just look so sad. She'd get teary eyed. And then after I got his, we got his ashes here, it was really strange. I mean, at night, I would literally feel like he was climbing up on the end of my bed like he would. He'd sneak up on my bed, you know, when he was alive. Right. And I figured it'd be Callie, you know, and I'd sit up and reach down there. And I'd say, Callie, is that you? And nothing there. And I'm like, okay, I'm hearing things. And then it would happen again. And, and one night, it literally woke me up. And I swear to God, I could smell him. And it was the strangest thing because after, you know, I, after he was gone and had him cremated, I wore, obviously washed his blankets in his pick kennel. There was no smell of him anywhere in the house. Uh, the carpet, you know, I keep the carpet always clean. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'm just wishing he was still here. And then mm-hmm. Callie started duplicating a lot of his habits. I mean, she'd run up and down the halls like he would. Or when I'd come home from somewhere, he would always uh, be looking under the door when I'd come into the back door where the washer and dryer is. And I'd see his nose there and he'd start whining. Well, Callie started doing that. And she never did that. She could care less about me. And uh, and so she was, you know, starting to do a lot of duplicating a lot of his habits. And so I thought, this is really strange. And you know what? I, I still feel like he's here. And we'll be in one end of the house or the other. I got a long hallway. And uh, a lot of times she'll go there and just sit there and just stare down the hallway. And I'll go, what's the matter, Callie? Is somebody here? And she just mm-hmm. meows. And I don't know. You know, it's just like we both feel his essence still here. I, How long? Normal? <laughs> well, that, that's what's interesting. How long ago did this happen? Well, I put him down this just this last March. Okay. And it wasn't until, to be honest, it really wasn't until after we got his ashes about a week or two later that I started noticing this kind of stuff. I've got uh, some of his ashes in and urn in the front of the house and in the back, and then I got that little vial around my neck. That is interesting because normally what I hear, uh, cats are usually kind of a shorter time period for direct manifestation and then dogs up to a year. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you'll hear these really rare stories where they just stay with you forever. I mean, for the rest of your life. But what I find really unique about this story is that your cat picked up the behaviors of uh, your dog, which is kind of a first that I've really heard that. So what do you think is going on? I mean, I, how do you, uh, what's your theory on this? Well, I, <laughs> Well, as, as far as Callie's concerned, the cat, I'm, I wrote it off as, well, that's her. Just She's finally got me to herself. She's going to do everything she can to do what I enjoyed with him. And that's how I put it off. But I, I don't know. You know, I've, I've read stories about, I did research on ghosts because I did a couple of ghost stories and a few. And one of them I did was called The Shadow. And it was about a 10-year-old girl that was killed in a car wreck. And I, with her mom, went over the cliff and they were both killed at nighttime. And she, and I wrote in the concept of the story that, because she was killed at night and an innocent little 10 year old girl, she didn't know what happened to her. So her, mm-hmm. when I Googled, you know, got the, all the synonyms of ghosts, there was one was the shadow wraith essence, you know, spirit. So I named the story, the shadow, the shadow goes around the earth looking for a way to get back into earth by replacing another 10 year old girl's soul. And then I thought, well, maybe a cat or animal is the same way, you know, maybe they're innocent. They don't know what's going on with them, but you know, you get so devoted to your pets and they, you know, all they have is us, you know, their pets devoted us solely. And I think we miss them so much sometimes. And I think, uh, back and forth, I think you can, 
I don't know. I don't know. You you give me. You're the expert on this, Brandy. I'm just really a little taken aback. I didn't scare me. I think it's kind of cool because it's nice to still feel him around. You know. Well, there are a couple different theories on this. So one is quite what you're describing, which is the idea that, and it's very Freudian, but that in our grief we are actually manifesting these ghosts. So, and even in the paranormal world, that becomes an element. Is it a tulpa? Is it this entity that we've created, or is it our energy that's kind of drawing the spirit of the animal back to stay with us? Right. But I, I think it's what I, I still find the cat element so fascinating that. Either the cat is mimicking the dog, which is very possible, or if it's, you know, being influenced, you know, a great question would be, you know, can an animal actually, can the spirit of an animal actually possess another animal? Yeah, so, I, don't know. I don't know that, you know, like I said, you know, people can always, like you said, people can always think they see a, a figure in a cloud. Everybody can see something else different in a cloud. And the same is with this, you know, if you really want to believe, you can believe, but for Callie to have the intelligence to think that wish the cheddar i don't know it's, it's just really a strange thing concept for me to put into my head and understand it's 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 like well you know maybe it is real because callie callie senses him and she still sleeps in his kennel at night oh wow and his favorite yeah. blanket she'll sleep on it no matter where i put it it's really it's really kind of eerie actually i'd be curious to see if the behavior continues so if in another yeah. six months it's still happening or you know, if the behaviors begin to change over time, we just did an interview with a, a veterinarian uh, from the UK actually last week. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was actually a very interesting thing because of course there are a lot of scientific things that, you know, people kind of tend to forget about like, you know, dogs and cats uh, can certainly see, hear and smell much better than we can. So we may be misinterpreting the data to fit with our interpretation of the story. Mm -hmm. True. But at the same time, we don't know exactly what's going on and we have not pinned the supernatural world into, you know, something that fits a universal definition in the sense of, you know, this animal behaves this way because there's a ghost. The ghost mm. causes this behavior because a ghost is X, Y, or Z. So it's one of those things that with the paranormal pets, it becomes so nebulous. What do you do with this? You know? Yeah. Uh, so I guess... As long as the cat's happy, my advice would be to continue to observe and and kind of see where things go. Are you thinking about getting another pet? I really miss the dog. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm ready yet, but I would like to get another puppy someday because I've always well, had dogs. Yeah, I kind of understand. My father was a cat person. I have pugs. and oh, I, uh, that. I knew that. Yep. Oh, pugs are awesome. And I've, I've got one in here who's very quietly sleeping. Normally on these podcasts, you'll hear snoring in the background because they sleep. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for the vote of confidence. But but I, I do understand because I know, you know, at least personally, I can't imagine life without a pug. So, you know, I'd be curious to see what would happen with the introduction of a new pet, you know, particularly a puppy. Sure. Your cat may never, ever forgive you or your no, cat may completely that, You are correct there. <laughs> Well, I don't feel too badly. It's uh, I have actually seen pugs look at puppies with disdain when I brought them home. So it, it's just kind of a universal animal reaction as to you know what have you sure. done? Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, I know they they get very needy and very jealous of each other. I know it's like siblings sometimes. You know, absolutely. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect I had huskies and a malamute up in Illinois, and those dogs oh. were amazing. I love those big dogs. They were so much fun. 
I bet. And I know, you know, I've seen so, you know, some of the ideas here in Florida because we've talked back and forth or at least on Facebook. But, you know, Florida's Florida's a little harder because it's uh, it's so crowded. So and it's hot. It's hot as heck. So sometimes those bigger, furrier pets are harder. Sure. But but if you're in love with the breed, I, I tell people, you know, find a way. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, Malamute to be a little harder down here because they got the double coat, you know, almost like a, yeah. a lamb coat and in the thick six, eight inch long hair coat. And wow. it'd be too hot for them down here. But I had yeah. one Colby. He was 168 pounds. He was gorgeous. Huge wow. mouth. That is a big one. I mean, yeah, he was very big. <laughs> I can't quite imagine trying to walk something that big. <laughs> oh, I, everybody walked away on the other side of the street. It was fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Well, we're going to pause here for okay. uh, a commercial break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about your books. Does that sound good? Okay. Sounds great. All right. We'll be right back after these messages. Time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. And welcome back. We are concluding our interview uh, or the second half of our interview here with Kerry O'Neill. He told us his paranormal pet story, and now we're going to find out how he, as a creative, utilizes uh, the supernatural and animals in his books. So I know we talked a little bit about werewolves at Spooky Empire. What was kind of the, the neatest thing that you found when you researched werewolves? Well, I researched it clear back to the Middle Ages, and it was during the Bluebonnet Plague when a lot of the original folklore came out and it was really believed back then you know that uh, god's scourge was cleansing the world of evil and people during that time and and everybody was terrified of wolves in general because they're afraid of their eating their children or spreading the plague and of course at the time a, a lot of deep religious beliefs has always been a callous and just fine violence to something they don't understand and that's even up to today but when i researched it was the gypsies did really they believed they had a spiritual connection with any of the beasts of the night and the pentagram symbol was a powerful weapon they said that would ward off evil in their beliefs and what was really interesting you know you've watched and read werewolf stories or read seen the movies i couldn't find anything about a werewolf re- that how it recovered its mortal form after bursting through a human shell you know and I thought, how did they do that? So I developed my own solution to the problem when I wrote my first werewolf book. When I wrote it, I added in the book that after the beast is released, their werewolf autonomically consumes its mortal remains. 
so it can heal itself inside of itself and replace its existence as a mortal when the full moon is over. And I thought that was kind of a neat concept to go that way. And okay. then uh, I also had, I, when I researched it, also said that they believed if you ate wolf meat and human meat, either sold by hunters back then as, as wolf meat and people didn't know what they were eating during the Black Plague to families or they'd eaten the wolves who had resorted to eating victims of the plague, they were cursed and they'd be a werewolf. And so I added that into this. And then uh, then I, a bit in werewolf, I did where the cursed werewolf, when he bites a werewolf, he can instantly, be, it's instantly controlled by the superior cursed werewolf. And then I went a little farther, I researched wolves in general, and I thought, you know, why not this new evolutionary breed of animals, the werewolf predator, why can't they develop a pack, you know, like the wolves do, alphas, betas, omegas, lead warriors, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I did put that concept in it. So the cursed werewolf becomes so powerful, he can influence, control his bit and beast telepathically, and then he develops these packs. And so my hero of the story, they say Adolphe, he's, uh, he becomes a cursed werewolf by accident, of course, and uh, he ends up being actually chosen by wolves when he was a young boy, he didn't know what was going on, to be the alpha of all the new evolutionary breed that's coming about. And wow. so his nemesis is uh, Conrad, this guy out of Germany, and he's a total badass wolf, <laughs> werewolf. Okay. And he was, yeah, and he was a, a serial killer cannibal before he was even cursed as a werewolf. And so they meet in Paris, in the catacombs, and uh, the, the battle takes place there. I've added a vampire in it, Andrea Corsini, and she's from Italy. And what's interesting in the book, Brandy, maybe I told you this, I got a chapter in the Werewolf book, uh, uh, and it's uh, called Crossing Paths. And he talks okay. about meeting the first vampire he's ever met in the catacombs of France. Well, oh, wow. this world, the vampire story I'm writing, when a predator dies, Andrea Corsini has a chapter, Crossing Paths, where she talks about meeting her first werewolf in the catacombs of Paris. So... Mm -hmm. I'm intercrossing both stories into it. And I went ahead through threw uh, gargoyles in it, too. So the <laughs> vampires, gargoyles that uh, come alive on the Church of Notre Dame to help battle this monstrous pack, 150-plus, of evil werewolves out of Germany. So, oh, wow. And so I, I use a religious connotation throughout the book. And that's what I thought was interesting, because back then, everything was, you know, religion was the, the reason everything happened or the best way to solve something. So, and that's uh, how I wrote it. <laughs> that is interesting. And of course, you've tied in a lot of unique elements. For example, um, I know in the ancient Greek world, the idea of, uh, of the Lycothos, the, the man-wolf, was literally because of King Lycos, who basically, well, he didn't eat, but he sacrificed a child on the altar of Zeus. And that was basically implied cannibalism. And it was just so horrific that the gods thought he was animalistic, that only, right. you know, true, true predators eat their young or kill their young. And so he was turned into a wolf. So you kind of end up with this idea of uh, killing others or the cannibalistic ideals. I think that in the Middle Ages, they even talked about, uh, of course, the devil and mm -hmm. special yeah, death. Yeah. And the uh, the wolf skins, you know, that you right. put these on to take them off. But what a you know what a phenomenal story. And of course, werewolves and vampires have certainly been kind of going together for a little while. But the gargoyles are fun. Yeah, <laughs> fun no, that's a, I thought that was a neat thing to put in because they're part of the guardians of the church, you know, and and not just draining out the rainwater <laughs> off the road. Right. You brought it up uh, vampires did that too in Greece. That was uh, Ambrosio was supposedly the first vampire in the Greek in the Greek mythology. 
and he had uh, fallen in love with Selene, one of the uh, oracles of the Apollo temple in Athens. Mm -hmm. And so he went to steal Selene, and uh, Apollo found out that they were going to meet the next morning. He's going to take her away, and Apollo was kind of in love with her. And so he put a curse on Ambrosio that his sunlight would burn him so he couldn't meet with her. Oh, wow. And then he went to steal the bowl from his twin sister, Artemis, who was the goddess of war in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she found out he's trying to steal her silver bowl for Hades, where he and Selene were planning to hide forever with their love. Mm -hmm. And Hades said they could do that. And she found out and put a curse on him so silver would burn him. So that's he was the first vampire. That's where the story come from there. When you brought that about the werewolf, that's true. That's right. And it, same thing for the vampires. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it turns out we owe a lot to the Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, how can people find your books? I know you've got multiple titles. How can they find the books or get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Well, the easiest thing is actually Amazon is amazing. They really are. I got an uh, author central page on Amazon. I even put my website. I got a website, too. It's kerryoneilauthor.org. It's very easy. Okay all written together. And, but on amazon.com, you can Google my name and you can go right into author central, the author's page and every, everybody does that. And well, everybody should, because it's, they're very helpful and yeah, uh, you yeah. can order them directly from there. I mean, uh, I've got them on Kindle right now, free for a limited time. And like this werewolf brain of Adolphi is not only nine ninety nine paperback. So, uh, the, what if is comes in hardback. That's a bigger book, about 650 pages. That's like 30 some dollars hardback, I think in paperback and on Kindle, but okay. uh, they're there. And I'm okay. still writing. <laughs> Excellent. And let's make sure folks know how to spell your name. So it's okay. K-E-R-R-Y mm -hmm. uh, and then O-N-E-A-L, correct? correct? Correct. Okay. So they can go onto Amazon and look for mm -hmm. these books. And your, what? Uh, can you give us a little hint to your, your current book, just a, a short little idea so folks can keep an eye out for it too? The one I'm working on now? or The, the one you're working on now. Oh, that's easy. It's When a Predator Dies. It's about Andrea Corsini. She becomes a vampire with an old vampire in a cave outside of her village, Italy, and she's only 17 years old. And, of course, she's a virgin. And oh. when she gets turned, she ends up being so incredibly powerful that Trivosa, who had changed her, was actually a creation of Ambrosio. I'll throw that in there from the original vampire. And she slaughters Trivosa, and she travels all over Europe in a bloodlust rage because as a new child vampire, there's nobody to guide her, and she just... Their superior powers. She doesn't understand what's going on. And then she starts after the centuries, realizes what's going on after she meets Adolphe. And she goes across Europe, goes into England, ends up going on a prisoner ship over to Massachusetts because England, in the late 1800s, uh, English, England used to send a lot of prisoners over to a prison in Massachusetts. And, they, mm -hmm, and she mm -hmm. meets another girl and they fall in love and young girl and they go to America. And oh, I wow. won't tell the rest of it. But, but the title is When a Predator Dies. And that could be applicable to the vampire she ends up killing, Andrea Corsini, it could apply to the plague because it's all during the same period as the Adolphi period with the bubonic plague. So it's uh, the whole synopsis is, you know, I, I thought, well, when a predator dies, how about a vampire? What happens when a vampire? Do they run? Do they reincarnate? Is there heaven and hell for them? Oh, you know, wow. a lot of religions believe in reincarnation or what happens to a vampire when they die? So that's the whole concept. And when do you think that'll be out? Uh, I'm on. See, I'm on chapter Five right now and there's 11 chapters in it so i got six more chapters i'm okay, doing a bloodlust so, chapter now and then the next chapter is going to be crossing paths where she meets her werewolf adolphe in paris so you think maybe early 2020 yeah oh yeah yeah all right there. so we'll have to tell our listeners to keep an eye out for that as well 
Yeah, and we want to tie in the same middle of the story. I love that crossing paths in the same chapter name. Only they talk about meeting each other for the first time, meeting a werewolf or a vampire. So it's oh, that is pretty cool. So you see it from both perspectives. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you so much for being on Paranormal Pets. This will be a podcast that will be up through the website, and um, we're looking forward to getting this out there. I hope that uh, you and Callie do well, and uh, (laughs) now we get the puppy, and let's see what happens next. And if she starts barking, I'll let you know that, too. (laughs) Oh, please do. That would be awesome. That would be be a spirit possession. (laughs) So for our listeners out there, I'm just going to remind you all to continue to adopt. There's plenty of rescues out there. There's all sorts of animals that need good homes. We just had 350 that were uh, put up for adoption in Tampa. So please remember that and tune in for the next episode of Paranormal Pets. Happy haunting. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.